Fighting everyday battles starts on our knees with our hands lifted high, for he is victorious. Do you believe that, church? And would you sing with us this morning? When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. Yes. When all I see is the mountain, you see my mountain. I walk to the shadows, your love surrounds me. Oh, there's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So I'll fight, so when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh,
There is power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that today, KMCC? Let's go ahead and declare that this morning. There's a name that levels mountains. Cause I'm highways through the sea. I see its power and rather battles right in front of me. There's a faith that stands to fire. Needs. And I see this praise and rather chapels right off my feet. Sing it out, church. That's the power. And that's the power of your name. Just dimension makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break. There is healing. That's the power that I claim. It's the same that wrote the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. That every prayer I make is on an empty grave, and that's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and struggles break, and there is healing. And that's the power that I play. It's a sin that won't be great. There's no
incredible power like your name. God, your faithfulness is steady. It's never ending, God. And we rest in that. And we see what you've done, Lord. We'll praise you for that forevermore.
Well, good morning, everybody. I'm here to give you a little bit of an update on the Welcome Project. First, let me say, if you're new to our churches, we know we have many new families, many young families. You are like a gift of God to us. We've been praying for you. We've been praying to see more young families come to our church. And I know I've met several in the last several months. And if you weren't here in the fall of last year, you don't even know what the Welcome Project is. So let me describe what it is for you. The Welcome Project was our dream of taking our campus, refreshing a little bit so that we could be more welcoming to of folks that might want to come and worship with us in the future. And so we asked our church, would you be willing to give above and beyond your normal gifts? Whatever you give normally, continue giving that. And above and beyond all that, would you commit to an initial gift and then a three-year commit, three-year monthly commit, commitment to giving towards the Welcome Project uh, for all the pictures that you see in the lobby. So if you're new to us, and you're saying, I don't even know what this is, go out in the lobby today, I challenge you, go look at all the pictures of our preferred tomorrow, and you'll see what we're hoping to accomplish in the next uh, coming season of our church. And so uh, the gift started coming in in January. Thank you, thank you to all those of you who have been participating in that. And we ask you to continue to remember us as you participate in that. But now to give you a little bit of an update. For me to give you an update, I need to explain to you how churches and cities work. Uh, there's something called a conditional use permit. So every church has a conditional use permit to use the facility, the campus, the way we're using it. And you have to get the authority for that through the city. And so we've had that for years. When you want to do something like this, you have to go back to the city and ask them, is it okay if we were to redo some things, do it within code and all those things? They can A, either require you to get a new conditional use permit or amend it, or they can let you do it within the conditional use permit that you already have. Now, this is really important because when I was in Arizona, we did a similar thing, and uh, the, the city required us to get a new conditional use permit or amend it, and that required that we have a town hall meeting where we had to notify everybody within like 500 feet of our church to come to this uh, board meeting at this, at, at, you know, Civic Hall, and they could complain about how they don't like churches and they don't want it to grow. And so the great news is that our city said, no, we're going to allow you to do this. You're not adding any square footage at all. And so we're going to allow you to do this within your conditional use permit. You don't have to worry about doing a town hall. That is a praise God, a God sighting. Uh, big, huge thank you, God, for that, right? Now what's happening during this season is we've sent all those renderings, those beautiful renderings, back to the architect. And he's turning those into like engineering, uh, you know, kind of uh, building drawings, uh, blueprints that we can resubmit to the city. And they'll, they'll check that, not for the concept. They've already agreed on the concept. But they'll check that for all the legalities of California to make sure that we do everything as stipulated in buildings that are built in California. Once they give us that secondary approval, then we can go and find construction workers and we can start the building process. Now, I'll let you know that we're still hopeful that we can put a speed in the ground and get something started in 2023. Oh, that's a little bit ominous though. We don't know what to expect. We're kind of walking and waiting. Uh, but a lot of things are happening in the background right now, even though it seems like not much is going on. I promise you, we are paying bills to the architect, to different engineers and all these different site plan things that we have to do. And so those drawings are being prepared. And once they're prepared, we can go back to the city and get that piece uh, going. Now, lastly, there may be some here who say, you know, I didn't have a chance to participate in the fall or I'm in a different financial place. 
that I was in the fall, or I'm new to the church, I didn't even know about this, and I'd love to give to the future of our church. Uh, and you may be asking yourself, how do I do that? We wanna let you know there's still time for you. We'd still love for you to join us, and we'd love for you to be there when we unveil this thing. And you can think to yourself, I had a part in this. I put my hands in with everybody else, and we built this together. If you want to do that, uh, you can go to the, uh, the counter, and they'll give you a little pamphlet, and it'll give you all the instructions there. At the same time, if you have any questions, you can always ask Kenny, but please jump on with us. Don't feel like uh, there's any problem with that. We would love to see that continue to happen. There are some dreams that we left on the table that who knows, over the next three years, maybe God will continue to supply us and we can get those dreams taken care of as well. And so, listen, our heart and, and, and our heart and mind in all this is just that we want to see more people in this room to worship God the way we were just worshiping Him just now. What if there was 100 more, 200 more people in this room worshiping to this wonderful uh, worship uh, team and set that we had today? It'd be amazing. And so that's our heart. So with that in mind, let's stand back up and give praise to our God. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created.
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. Uh, if you're new to us, welcome. I always introduce myself every week because I just assume there might be somebody new. And so if you're here, never stepped in this room before, welcome. We were expecting you. We're so glad that you're hanging out with us, whether you're online, uh, online, offline, on campus, on campus, in the video venue, or outside. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You may be watching this this week on Wednesday because you had a business trip and you still wanted to stay connected. And in the series, and so we see you too. Uh, welcome, and we're glad that you're with us today. Before I jump in, and I came loaded, so we got to jump in real quick here. But before I jump in, I want to share with you this card. Today, when you leave, there will be ushers who will have these cards as you walk out. I want you to grab one. It just says upcoming events in the month of May. There's so much going on in the month of May. We decided to print out a little card for you to know so you can be a part of it. Mother's Day, child dedications, there's a walk for water that Kenny's gonna be talking. 
talk about a little later. And then we're going camping too. So grab one of these as you leave. Uh, we have the ushers. We've instructed them that if you don't take the car, they're to walk with you to your car and place it on your uh, windshield wiper. All right? And so you don't want that. We don't want that look. You don't want that. So just grab the card and then make sure that you're at everything on this card for the month of May. That would be awesome. I think you'll certainly enjoy that if you do that. Now, to get started this morning, I think I just need to say that I'm one of those folks who kind of pushes the envelope all the time. Uh, I'm kind of a push the envelope kind of a person. It's just kind of my general personality. I just generally push the envelope. Is there anybody here who at the outside say, yeah, that's me too. I'm kind of a, a push the envelope kind of person. Yeah, I knew you. Yeah, and uh, anybody else? You know, to push? Yeah, I, I mean, if I were to describe it to you, I would say, you know, um, you know, yesterday I was driving in the car with Kenny and with Kelly, and we were going to Anaheim, and we were checking out another church, a Saturday night service, and we do this every once in a while just to bring back some ideas, what we could do at Camp CC a little differently, some cool things. And so we were out there, and Kenny's always good the executive pastor, you know, he's always good about saying, hey, David, uh, you need to get this exit in about two miles, you know, because I'm talking, I'm just driving, you know, or, or hey, you need to catch this junction to this other freeway in about a mile, mile and a half. And whether it's Kenny or Siri saying it, you know, in two miles, you need to, you know, I always think to myself, I got plenty of time, two miles and a half. Are you kidding me? I'm not leaving my lane right now. I'm in the fast lane. I can make a lot of time up in that last two miles before I have to get off on that exit, right? It's only about like when it's 0.8 miles away. Then I start thinking to myself, oh, maybe I should get over, uh, you know, so I can make that exit. How many of you are like me and have missed your exit before because you're trying to outpace Siri or Kenny in the car or something like that? Yeah, that's me. And that just comes with the territory. But understand, most of the time, I get there faster than all you guys because I'm staying in the fast lane for longer than you guys stay there. Uh, there's another way I could describe it to you. Uh, most cars today, as long as you have a car that's like, you know, a 2000 and uh, a two and above, as long as you have like a 1990s car, most cars today will tell you when you have, you know, so many miles left to drive before you need more gasoline or today in the modern day, it'll give you a mileage marker for when you need to charge your vehicle again if you have an electric car. Have you noticed that before, right? And, and I always think to myself, yeah, right, Honda, like it's really only 30 miles left. Come on, I know you guys put a fail-safe in there. It's probably 20 miles more just because you don't want Hondas on the side of the road, right? That'd be a bad look for you guys. So I bet you guys build into this system. 30 miles doesn't mean 30 miles. What does it mean? And so I'm the guy who pushes the envelope a little bit and like, oh, well, we went 35 miles. So 30 miles doesn't mean 30 miles. It means 35 miles. How many, how many, I wonder how many more miles I can get out of this. Then I'd start going to 40, 42, 45. How many of you guys have been stuck on the side of the road having having and having no gas in your gas tank because you're trying to, to yeah, I love you. I, I think you're awesome. And, and yeah, yeah, so that's kind of me. I, 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 you know, I end up, you know, I find the marker at the end because I'm on the side of the road needing gas. Uh, you know, uh, it's happened multiple times. But anyway, I, you know, there's another, and this is not even something that I get started when I was an adult. Like I, I, I have had this tendency since I was a child. I remember when my mom would say, David, you're, 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 you're in your brother's restroom. is filthy. The tub is supposed to be white and it's, Dirty gray. <laughs> and I was like, actually, there's some black spots there. But I mean, to a teenage boy, you're like, who cares? You ever take a shower? You know, she's like, clean it, clean it, clean it. So I'm like, well, what is, a, what is a teenager to do? You know, I was wise beyond my years. And I figured to myself, how do you clean an extremely dirty tub, but to get an extremely potent cleaning solution to fix this problem? I think I've mentioned to the church before, I would fill up, you know, plug the tub, fill up some water, and then I would add different uh, solutions into that water, like Ajax, ammonia, bleach, pine salt, grout, and tile cleaner, soap, uh, dish soap, to boot. 
And I figure if it's a really messed up tub, then you need a really good potion, mix it up together, and, and, it, and it'll conquer any stain there is in the world, right? By the way, uh, kids at home, don't do this. This is actually what the defense uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, department of our United States uses to build a bomb. Like, don't do this, this is bad for you, right? And I'd be sitting there scrubbing, like, this is really working, but I feel really lightheaded. <laughs> you know, I need to go take a break, and I'd go to the room and, like, lay down, or, you know. And I remember, it was, it was it, that's, that, that'll kill you, you know that. Like, like, you can't mix this lethal gas that is created when you do that. And, like, I was literally burning brain cells. And some of you are like, now I get him, I understand him now. Like, I get what, how he, yeah, why, why he's the way he is, right? Right. <laughs> Have you ever been so stubbornly stupid in the midst of pushing the envelope? Anybody? Anybody willing to raise your hand? A couple. I appreciate you, you guys for being honest. The rest of you are liars. Uh, have you ever been so stubbornly stupid in the midst of fish, pushing the envelope? And if you are of that personality, I think you're going to appreciate today's text. I think you're going to appreciate uh, uh, the, the, the passage that we have today because we're gonna focus in on our own stubborn refusal to bend our will to God's. Much like our stubborn refusal to get out of the fast lane until .8 miles away, much like putting all these chemicals together that turns into something that's you know, uh, uh, non-productive, we should say, <laughs> as far as your health is concerned, and we're gonna ask ourselves, why is humanity in the habit of doing such things? Like, why doesn't life's consequences always curtail our behaviors? Have you thought about that? And what is it about our internal outlook that has us deepening in our stubbornness? How is it that our stubbornness is more powerful than the penalties sometimes? And how is it that our minds find resolve in stupidity? Why do we seem to be able to ignore the consequences and why are our mental rationalizations so powerful? That's what we're gonna be dealing in our text. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there right now to Samuel chapter eight. We'll look at verses eight or 10 through 22 today. Uh, as you open your Bible or your phone up right now and get there, 1 Samuel chapter eight, verses 10 through 22. I entitled the message, The Plight of the Stubborn. I don't often share the title of messages, but this one I just thought, you know, everybody deals with this. Uh, the plight of stubbornness, the plight of the stubborn, and really that's the plight of all of us dealing with this at some place, time in our lives. Overarching question today, as you see on the screen, is why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right? Why don't we get over earlier from the fast lane and not miss the exit? Why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right? And the first we're gonna see in our text, the first thing we will see, it's because we are good at ignoring consequences. We are good at ignoring consequences. Why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what is right? Because we're really good at ignoring all the consequences. That's kind of a part of humanity. Uh, as I read this in chapter eight, verses eight through uh, verse 18, I want you to remember that we're in the context of Israel demanding a king from God. And in the process of demanding a king, we want our own king. What they're saying is we don't want you. God was presiding over Israel in a theocracy. He was king over Israel. And instead of you, God, we want a human. We want a human with all his fallacies, his fallibility. We'll, we'll, we'll say, we'll reject you in your righteousness 
and we will take somebody else of a, in a human shell to do what we don't think you are doing well. That's what the context is. And as I read this, I want you to take note of verbal ideas, specifically the word take. In fact, you could circle in your Bible every time you see the word take. Let's start at verse 10. It says, this will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says, uh, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will, what? Take your sons and appoint them, it's another kind of verbal idea, same idea, to his chariots, to be his horsemen, and to, reform, uh, to, be, to run before the chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will what? Take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and oiled, uh, olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will Take a tenth of your flocks and your sheep and your, uh, to be his slaves, and in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right? Well, the first thing we notice is because we ignore all the consequences. In fact, you could list out this verses eight through, or 10 through 18 this is the, are you sure you want this section? Let me describe to you what's coming your way, and then you tell me, on the other hand, do you still want this? You have God as king in all of his righteousness. He can do no wrong. He can't sin. You want to put a human in that place. Do you really want this? Let me share with you what this human will do. He will press into military and domestic enterprises. He will appropriate properties. Literally, the idea is land confiscation for his own use and for the use of his family and friends. He will inflict a heavy tax burden, usually, uh, normally about 10% of everything, both field and flock. Whatever your, your flock births, a tenth of it goes to the king. Whatever your field produces, a tenth of it goes to the king. The king's administration would need to be housed and fed. Land must be owned by the king. An army must be erected by the king. And who's going to give that land to the king? You are. And who's going to be that army? You are. Is that what you want? There will be those who are called to run before the chariots. Now, this is kind of interesting. It's not, there's not necessarily a cross-reference to this in Western society. But the idea was that there were these chariot runners. They ran ahead of the chariots, and they would proclaim and herald, here comes the king. And the irony of this is they're not going to be proclaiming the king of their God. Now they're going to be proclaiming a human king. Instead of proclaiming God is our king, they're going to be proclaiming a human in that spot. Is that really what you want? He goes on to talk about forced labor. He will take your land and they'll force you to work it for him. You'll farm the land to supply the king's house and his army. You'll make the weapons for the army. Bow and arrow, sword, dagger, shield, javelin, uh, all the 
chariots need to be built. Your daughters will be taken from you and made as cooks and bakers and perfumers. Now, cooks and bakers is self-explanatory. We understand that. What is a perfumer? Uh, this is, again, there's not necessarily a cross-reference in Western society, uh, but perfumers were in charge of making sure the king's garments uh, were regularly perfumed so they smell good. See, in ancient times, there wasn't anything called right guard or old spice. And so you would need a perfumer to make sure those garments smell good because our king must smell good. They would also burn spices to ensure that there was a pleasing aroma in the palace. Our king's palace has to smell accordingly. So your daughters are going to be given over to this job of making sure it smells good. Is this what you want? Slaves and farm animal confiscations would happen. Anything that caught the king's eyes would need to be considered a gift to the king. He's the king. He saw your slave working really hard. I want him. Great. Then he's now a gift to the king. He saw your daughter. Great. She's now a gift to the king. Uh, farm animals. Great. Gift to the king. Think of David and Bathsheba. He's looking over and watching her bathe on the top of her roof. And he wanted her. Well, why didn't she say, hey, king, I'm spoken for. I'm married to Uriah. You know why? Because nobody does that. The king, you catch the king's eye, you consider yourself a gift to the king. Is this what you want? You're giving up God, very God, in the seat of authority, in the seat of kingship, and you're giving up his righteous deliberations over you for a human being who is fallible and has a sin nature. Is that what you really want? In the end, you'll be nothing more than chattel to the disposal of the monarch. Are you sure you want the Canaanite example established for yourself? See, that's what they're doing. We know we have you, God, but we see all the Canaanites over here and they have a king and they have an army and we like the way that looks. So we'd like to do away with you, set you aside, God, and you give us a king so we can look like them. Are you sure you want this? By the way, when this happens, if this is what you really want, when this happens, there'll be a day where you'll turn around and you'll regret this. But there'll be no place for complaining then. And I won't listen to your cries because this is what you wanted. Look at verse 18 again. In that day you will cry out because of your king in whom you've chose for yourself but the Lord will not answer you in that day. If you really want this and you want to trade your God away for something else, you can have it. But when it doesn't turn out for you, like I described you, it won't. I will not listen to your cries because this is what you chose. Why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right because we ignore consequences? We do this on an individual level all the time. I know I should do this. I know this would be God's will for my life, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna ignore them. Those consequences aren't that big. It's not that big of a deal. I'm gonna set those aside and do what I want. I wanna be in charge. And, 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 and in my own will, I stubbornly refuse to do what is right. We do this individually all the time. But I wanna kinda highlight how this happens in a societal context as well. Um, we do this individually and we do this in community as well in a societal context. I really wanna give you a book reference. Maybe we can get a close up on this. This is a book called Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. 
Um, the tagline is transgender identities, the church, and what the Bible has to say. Preston Sprinkle embodied transgender identities, the church, and what the Bible has to say. Uh, there is a large discussion right now in our culture about gender fluidity. Um, gender fluidity or gender dysphoria. The idea that I might have a dysphoria between my biological sex and my gender identity. That may be biologically one thing, but internally I feel like the opposite. And let me just acknowledge that that sounds to be a little bit like a tortured existence. I'm just, I just, let me just say that. I feel like my biology is one thing, but internally I feel like another thing. That sounds to me a bit like a tortured existence. Not easy, to say the least. Couldn't even imagine it. Never dealt with that. Couldn't imagine the plight of somebody going through that. But it's something that we have to deal with because important here is to understand this is a worldview proposition. For those of you who are parents and you have children, it's important for you to give your children a proper Christian framework here on what to believe, how to believe, and how to act on this issue. God has called us to be loving and kind, yes, and God has called us to represent his truth as well. How do we both have a loving and kind response and then at the same time have a truthful response at the same time? Because you can love somebody all the way to hell and that's not loving. At the same time, you can damn somebody to hell and that's not the truth of God in love. How do you have a good, balanced approach here? What is the Christian worldview in this matter? And that is that gender is not something that is simply assigned at birth, but is assigned by God in the womb. That is the Christian worldview. We don't just assign it at birth and say, this is what we think. No, this is assigned by God prior to birth. Now today, we hear of a lot of people with gender dysphoria who decide to transition to the opposite sex, which by the way, they're in their own autonomy to do so. It's not my job to tell you not to do that or you, you, you have an autonomy from God to choose what you want to choose. And so we see a lot of transgender folks transitioning in their own autonomy to the sex that they feel more aligned with or the gender they feel more aligned with. What is often not mentioned in society, however, is that many of these folks are struggling with a mental health component as well. And they're hoping that their transition will make their depression go away. And again, this is dealt with on a large level in this book. If I just have the reassignment surgery, then the depression will go away. And the problem is, for those who have the reassignment surgery, and then the depression doesn't go away, they commit suicide at an extraordinarily high rate. Now, if you are a Christian in this room, you should care about that. That should matter to you. Those are people who have souls and hearts who are trying to find an answer, and when they don't find their answer, they off themselves. They're trying to find, if I could just find peace in my mind, trying to bring this thing down, and they're going to places outside of God, outside of Jesus Christ, and they're not finding their answers. And they're committing suicide at an extraordinarily high rate. 
after they transition, after finding that it didn't solve their problems. And this is something that's ignored in society. It's not talked about. You see what I mean by ignoring the consequences? Why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right? Well, we just individually ignore the consequences. Societally, community-wise, we ignore the consequences. And the only solution that leads to life is Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're interested in the intersex debate, there is a whole you know, chapter on that in this book. I don't have time to go in that today, but I highly recommend it. Um, very, very good. Very, very honest, biblically accurate, and kind. I'm not into bigotrous Christians. I don't think that's what God called us to be. But as far as accurateness to the word of God, kindness, I think you'll find Preston to be a, a great author. I went to school with Preston. We didn't know each other, but we were at school at the same time. He's a good guy. And uh, I, I would stand for his work on that. Well, what is it, uh, why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right? Well, first, because we are good at ignoring consequences. Number two, because we're good at rationalization. We can justify anything. I mean, come on, let's be real. We can justify whatever it is in our mind we want to justify. If there's something I want to do, I can figure out a good reason, like a moral reason. Like there, there's a propensity to say, I can figure out why this is okay. We're good at that. We're good at rationalization. We're good at justification. We're good at uh, any kind of justifiers in, that our mind needs to convince ourselves to do it. And we're going to see that right here in verses 19 through 22. It says this, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel uh, in that stubborn refusal. There it is. They said, no, but there is or there shall be a king for us. I'll tell you how we rationalize it. That also, that we also may be like all the other nations and that our king might judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all these words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, kind of a surprising um, note here, obey their voice, give them a king, even though they're rejecting me. And Samuel said to all the men of Israel, go every man to his own city, and now you have the beginnings of what will be the first king that we'll start looking at in chapter nine next week. Why is it that we find ourselves stubbornly refusing to do what we know is right? Well, because we're really good at rationalization. We can justify anything in our minds. And here, Samuel says, let me show you what your king's gonna do for you. This is what he's gonna do for you and to you. It's not gonna be pretty. You're gonna be like slaves, like going back to Egypt. Is that what you really want? And they said, yes, that's what we want. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how we rationalize it. Three things they said that they would rationalize on why this is the best thing for them. Number one, because they wanted to be like the nations. They wanted to be like the nations. Here God had selected them out of the world and said, you're my special people. I'm your God. You're my people. I will be your king. And instead of viewing themselves in a special way, they said, you know what? We want to be like everybody else. Why can't we be like them? They have a king. We want one. Number two, because we want someone to judge and rule over us. They wanted a figurehead that they could see. The irony of this is, isn't God presiding over them? Wasn't God their judge? Wasn't he ruling over them? Yeah, but we can't see him. All the Canaanites, they have the, all their people, and they do these marches, and the king's on this big thing. We want to see you. The third one. 
because we want someone to fight our battles. And again, a slap in the face to God. Haven't I been fighting your battles? In chapter seven, we just saw God fight a battle for them. No, we don't want you to fight our battles. We want our own king to fight our battles. We want to look like the nations. We want to be ruled over and judged like the figurehead of other nations. And we want somebody to fight our battles. It's not you, God. In all three of these, it was no God. We don't want to be yours. We want to be like the nations, not you, God. We want someone to rule and judge over us, not you, God. And we want somebody to fight our battles, not you, God. It's the ignorance of humanity that sometimes we'd rather have a human fight our battles instead of God. They had lost their confidence in God. Why don't we want you to be? Because we're not confident in you anymore. Before you look at this and go, man, they're really messed up. I can't believe they lost confidence in God. That can't be what I'm reading. Acknowledge that we do this in our lives every day. Don't just look at them and say they've lost. Let me ask you, have you lost confidence in God? What are you going through right now? Are you confident in the God who is going before you? Or have you lost confidence in him and already are installing a new king? What's going on in your life right now? And have you lost confidence in him? We do it all the time. God had set them aside to be a special set-apart group. And instead of viewing that as something positive and beautiful for the world to see, they said, we want to be like them. You know, I came home this week and I had like a, a really awesome dad moment. Uh, really awesome dad moments are when your kids are doing like, you know, things on a great level. And for me, that's always spiritual. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not that big, I don't make a big deal about grades. I don't make a big deal about how much money you're gonna make, what career you're gonna go. I don't, that stuff. Okay, great, God, you'll take care of all that. I just want my kids to know Christ. When you see me up here kneeling, by the way, what am I doing? I'm praying over my kids by name. I do it every week at 9 a.m., usually the 9 a.m. service, so you guys never see it, but it happens, I promise. Maybe I'll switch it up so you guys, I don't, I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for my kids. Stop expecting me to do things for, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, my son this week came home from school and he said, I was getting rasped for being a Christian dad. 17, oh, it's gonna be 17 in September. I go, really? And you can imagine what all these lingos are when you're a Christian trying to live life for God. And by the way, I don't know what his life trajectory will be. You know, there are times where we make mistakes and God forgives and he brings us back and restores us. I don't know. I'm just praising God for this week. All right. And he said, you know, I was right being rasped for being a Christian and, you know, all the kids are hooking up and whatever. And you don't hook up because you're a Christian and the teasing that goes on with that. And he goes, Dad, you know what I said? I go, what? He goes, he goes anybody can hook up. Even an ugly person can hook up. Can you find somebody who will marry you and spend the rest of their life with you? I was like, dang, drop a mic. You know what he was saying? I can view this thing as being like everybody else or I can view it as special that I'm different. And that's what Israel had missed. They didn't view it as being special, being different. They wanted to be like the Canaanites. They wanted to have their own king. You know, it's an interesting note here, and this is something that profoundly hit me this week. God had intended all along that Israel would ultimately have a king. It's in, it's in ancient literature. God had intended all along that Israel would have a king, but not for self-centered reasons, and not at this time. 
I'll give you tons of passages you can look up later. Genesis chapter 17, verse 6 and verse 16. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Numbers chapter 24, verse 7, 17, and 19. Deuteronomy chapter 17, 14 to 20. 1 Samuel chapter 2, remember Hannah? She proclaimed that there will be a king over Israel. God has already established a king is coming. So they wanted a good thing. They wanted a thing that God was going to provide for them. But they wanted it for self-serving reasons. And they wanted it in their time, not his time. A king was coming, just not at this time. In fact, I would have to tell you, if we don't get a messianic king in Jesus Christ, then we can't be made right with God. We need a king. But it wasn't in their timing. And I wonder if ever you struggle with that. You want something so good and God wants it for you, but I want it now and he's saying wait. And so you know what happens in my stubborn refusal, I, I look aside all the consequences and I, and I look aside and rationalize and justify things and I get it the way I want it right now. And yet that's not the will of God. Their timing was off. And so they ended up with Saul rather than David. David is the king, the kingly line that we have Jesus Christ through who brings salvation to the world. They got Saul first rather than David because they wanted it in their own timing. But here's the thing, guys. God will wait you out. He's a patient God, and he will wait you out. In fact, that's our big idea today. God meets our stubborn refusal with his patient endurance God will meet your stubborn refusal with his patient endurance. I can wait you out, Israel. He will meet your stubborn refusal. He's not scared of it with his patient endurance. There will be a day where you will see that you didn't want this king the way you wanted it. And then you'll come back crying to me and it'll be too late. I'm not gonna be hearing your complaints and I'm not gonna answer your prayers. I will meet your stubborn refusal with my patient endurance. And yet you'll still get all the consequences of everything you did on your own timing because that's what you wanted. But of course, God comes and he restores and he reconciles and he makes things beautiful again, as we see in the story of the Old Testament. God meets our stubborn refusal with his patient endurance. You know, one of the things that really grabbed me from this passage this week was the notion that they wanted the right thing, but they wanted it at the wrong time. They wanted the right things, but they wanted it on their own timing. And they were willing to give up their God as king so they could get it. I wonder myself, we do this all the time. I want this and I want it now. And I'm willing to set you aside, God, if I can't get what I want right now. And I wonder, what if we could flip the script on that? What would it look like to do the opposite? How would that play out in life? And I'm gonna reach back about 25 years for this illustration, hopefully encourage you, some of you young adults along the way. But uh, I remember being 18 years old and, uh, and going on my first date with this gal. I was at a Christian university and she, you know, we had you know, hit it off and we, you know, so we decided, I asked her out, you know, we went golf and stuff. It was, we were poor and it was cheap and it was fun. You know? And so I asked my buddy, can I borrow your car? I didn't even have a car. We didn't even worry about insurance. I don't know if I was covered in driving. I don't know. But I drove her. We went to the golf and stuff. We played some, you know, miniature golf, bought her some dinner. You know, driving home, I'm thinking, this is great. This is going awesome. I get back to the campus. I'm dropping her off at her dorm. You know, it's a, it's a Christian school, so girls' dorms, guys' dorms. I'm dropping her off in front of her dorm so she doesn't walk very far or whatever. She gets out of the car. And she goes, there's something I have to tell you before I get out of the car. 
I go, I go, what? She goes, I'm not interested. I know, right? Like, what the heck is wrong with you? I'm like, You're not interested? Like, you could have told me, like, before I bought you a burrito. Oh, that would have been awkward, too. Before you buy me this burrito, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, I, there's, no, there's no good way to say it. It's going to be awkward with you before, be middle, the end. It was going to be awkward. And, and so I was, like, trying to, you know, help her out. Hey, listen, I understand. And, and, but yeah, she could tell I was visibly disappointed. I was, like, visibly disappointed. I was just like, get out of my car. I mean, I didn't say that. But in my mind, I'm like, you know, get the step in, right? And, uh, and so, you know, she goes, and then I park the car, I get the keys back to my friend, and then I, behind my dorm, there's this big mountainous hill, and I remember walking up there, I don't, big men don't usually like to hike, and so I don't usually do that, but I, I'm up there, it's a cool, calm night, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's beautiful, not a cloud in the sky, you can see the stars, you can see the moon, and I just sat there on a rock in my disappointment, and I just started, started praying, and my prayer went something like this. God, I don't think I want to leave this rock until you change my inner disposition right now. I don't want to leave until you change my sadness into something else, my disappointment into something else. Is there a way that you could do something in me right now so I don't feel the way I feel? All those type of things. and The prayers that started coming up from that event were something to this extent I want your will for me in my life more than I want my own will for my life. I want to be so aligned with you that I'm more in love with your will than I am with my will. I want you more than anything I want. I mean, can you please change my heart to want only the things that you want? So somehow I can go through this and go, you know what? I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And if you close the door, then I don't want it. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I don't want to leave this rock until I feel that way. Until I'm more in love with your will than my own will. And I tell you what, guys, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I went to my bed with a smile on my face. And the whole next week, I didn't have a problem. I was joyful, because I figured, God, you closed that door, and that must mean that you don't have that for my life, and I don't want whatever you don't have for my life. What if whatever challenge you're facing in your life what if you could pray that kind of prayer? God, I want your will more than I want my own. Or will you be left in your stubborn refusal to follow him? And guys, this is a bigger deal than missing the exit on the freeway, running out of gas. It's a bigger deal than all that. Don't give up on him. Let him prove himself to you over time. For those of you who believe, you need to know this, that God will meet our stubborn refusal with his patient endurance. He will wait you out. And there will be consequences along the way, and once you give in, he will come back and restore you and reconcile you and make you right with him. But it doesn't mean the journey is easy. And for those of you guys who are maybe, you're new to this thing, you're new to this whole Christian thing, churchianity, Christianity, religiousness, whatever you want to call it. I, I'm just, I just barely stepped in. I don't know what I'm supposed to know. The takeaway for you is this. The king they wanted and the king they needed were two separate kings. The king they wanted and the king they needed were two separate kings. They thought they wanted what the Canaanites have. We want to look like them and act like them. But the king they needed was something else.
And I think sometimes we do that in the church world. I'm gonna go to church and I'll get God on my side and then and maybe my trajectory will change and I'll get that, that assignment or I'll, I'll get that promotion and I'll, I'll hit on this career track and God will bless it and look at all these things that God could do for me. I just need to get on the track with God so God can do all these things for me. As if he's some kind of like a genie in the bottle or something. That's the king you want. The king you need is somebody completely different. The king you need is Messiah who eliminates sin justify you before God rather than be left in your own guilt-riddled rationalizations. You need a God who can wipe the slate clean, who can make you as white as snow, the symbol of utmost purity. It's why we use that color for wedding dresses. That the past need not be a deterrent, deterrent to your relationship with God, that he can forgive and he can pardon you based on the, cause of Christ, the cross of Christ. That's what you need. Now, I'm not promising you that all of a sudden everything will be fine. The dysphoria will leave and life will just get better because you know Jesus. I can't promise you that. I wish I could tell you that when I was nine years old, my parents didn't divorce when I came to Christ. It still happened. I wish I could tell you that my, that my dad didn't die when I was 12 of brain cancer. No, when I came to Christ, that, Christ, that's still a fact that happened. When I was 14 years old, my mom was beat up and left in an alleyway in her own blood. I, I wish I could tell you that when I came to Christ, he erased all that, but that was still there. I wish I could tell you that my mom, when I was 25 years old, didn't die of stomach cancer. None of that changes. But what he promises is he'll be you in whatever challenge you will encounter. I won't tell you that life will get better if you come to Christ, but I will tell you that Christ will be with you with whatever challenge you have. And I will remind you that while this world may be challenging at times, we live for a different world. Whether or not you have to live a life of dysphoria, 80 to 100 years on earth, and then we get to heaven where there's no more sin, no more pain, no more shame. Add it up, whatever you want to say, it's not there. It's just heavenly. My job is to get you guys on that rather than here and now. If you're a person who are, who's new to any kind of faith-based system, let me tell you what we believe. That is that Christ Jesus, God, very God, man, very man, died on the cross for our sin, that God would satisfy his wrath for the sin of the world by placing it on the cross of Christ. That God would say, I'm gonna put my wrath on my son so that we wouldn't have to get it. There's a transfer that happens that, that I get the righteousness of the Son of God placed onto my account and my sin goes onto the cross of Christ. So God can say, that sin has been dealt with and you are my child. God knows everything I've done, past, present, future. He knows everything I've done that's outside the will of God and yet he's pardoned it and forgiven it, forgiven it based on the work of Christ on the cross. So he could say, I know who you are, David. I know all the items of your life. I can't erase them. I'm omniscient. I'm all-knowing. But I also know that I don't look on those items anymore. I look on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're my child because of his righteousness. That's available to you. It's available to anyone who would receive the cross of Christ. So if you're here, your job is to say, I place my faith in Jesus Christ, God, very God, man, very man, lived the life I could never live, died on the cross, was buried on the third day, was resurrected, and what scriptures say, if you place your faith in that, you believe on the cross of Christ, you confess with your mouth that God raised from the dead, then you will be saved. 
That is the beginning of your spiritual journey. And you are invited to take that journey starting today. Stop looking for a king to make life better that's not God. Don't set God aside. Put him on the throne of your life. That's the call for both believers and non-believers alike. Why don't you bow your heads, pray with me. Father, we come in humility and in compassion for areas that our society struggles with where they're trying to find answers. And within their own worldview, I guess they think they're finding answers. And within our worldview, we say, no, they're missing the boat on the answers. The answers to life's greatest disparities, depressions is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else will truly fill that void. We come in love and in acknowledgement and truth, but yet love and compassion. We ask that you would use us to unveil the truth to those people who don't see it. And we ask that you would woo their very souls and change them from the inside out. If you're here today and you want to place your faith in Christ, you could do it right now. And we'd love to hear about it. It's just a almost like a willful ascent in your heart. I'm lining myself with Christ. We'd love to see you on your journey. Don't leave today without making him the king of your heart. Father, I pray for all the believers in the room who all of us struggle with trying to replace you and your kingship in our lives. Help us to double down in our stubbornness to live for you and to trust you that in your time, you will show us what you're doing the whole time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, there it is. <laughs> um, thank you, Pastor David. If you just prayed uh, with Pastor David to receive Jesus Christ, you took him up on his offer to become a Christian, um, welcome to the family. Um, and I just wanna challenge you, I think the best next step is to tell someone what you've done. Um, if you came with someone, let them know. Uh, go home and tell someone in your family that you just prayed to re become a Christian. And before you leave today, would you stop by in the lobby at the welcome counter on the left hand side and let them know that uh, you received Jesus today. Uh, because we want to be part of this journey with you. We want to walk with you and we want to be there for you to answer any questions and help you along as you begin to follow Christ. All right. Um, we're going to transition now to a time of giving. That's uh, one of the ways we worship God. And if you choose to support the ministry here at Camp CC, there's three ways to do that. You can go to our website, campcc.net, and click Give at the top of the page. You can text the amount you'd like to donate to the number 84321, or there's an offering box in the lobby. All right, before we watch the video today, I want to clarify one thing. The Walk for Water is May 21st. Some things you need to know is we're doing a 6K walk. We're gonna have one service at 9 a.m. and we're gonna do the walk at 10.30. So you're the second service people. You're gonna have to set your alarm a little earlier, I'm sorry, and come to the first service. And then afterwards, we're gonna do a walk. At the conclusion of the walk, we're gonna have a barbecue here at the church. Um, and we'd love for you to participate with that. To re I, to, there's part of this that's confusing, and that's the registration process. We're doing this with World Vision. So when you go to our website, go to campcc.net slash impact, 
there's a button that says register and as soon as you click that it takes you to the world vision site um, there's a button there you press that says join our team and then you create a login and then you're going to get to this page and it's already set in the default things that are correct you only need to make one choice and that's am i an adult or am i a youth because there's two different um, amounts don't change anything else if you put host site leader then you're basically creating your own race that you're going to do at your house i guess uh, you don't want to choose that um, and then it's already selected join a team and then press ok and then at the next page it says your fundraising goal well you just paid 50 bucks for a t-shirt so you don't have to put anything there you can put a zero and it says make a donation you can choose no thanks you've already made the donation by registering um, you're welcome to um, make an additional donation if you want to but you don't have to everything else is straightforward uh, t-shirt size gender all that stuff it'll be the normal just like buying something on Amazon after that point all right if you need help with that there's two things you can do uh, you can call the office during the week and Michelle here will gladly help you she can register on your behalf um, or come see me on the patio and I can help you out as well. So pick up a card on the way out, register. You have to register early and World Vision sends the shirt directly to your house. So you need to make sure you're at least a week out in registering. All right. Well, for more of what's going on, let's check out this video. Hey, CamCC. I'm Cherise Bennett. I serve in hospitality and worship ministries. I'm truly glad you're here with us today. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you. Starbucks gift cards, thirst-quenching mugs, and all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders. If it's your first, second, or third time with us, go to the welcome counter in the lobby so we can spoil you. Or if you're online watching, go to campcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up at CampCC. Who will you invite to join you? Sunday, May 14th, baby and child dedications. What a great way to celebrate Mother's Day. If you as a parent would like to publicly make a commitment to raise your child to follow Jesus, this is the opportunity. To sign up, or if you have any questions, contact Elaine at campcc.net. This will be a powerful morning. Invite friends and family to Mother's Day, as we will also have a flower bouquet bar. Sunday, May 21st, Walk Through Water Initiative. Grab those walking shoes. We'll be partnering with World Vision to provide clean water for those in need around the world. We'll have one gathering May 21st at 9 a.m. and walk a 6K or one mile alternative route at 10.30 a.m. Registration is $50 for adults, $25 for children and teens, which includes a t-shirt, metal, and a barbecue lunch back at the church. You can still walk without registering and enjoy a $5 barbecue lunch, but no sweat. Register now at campcc.net slash impact to ensure you get your shirt in time. Friday, May 26th through Monday, May 29th, Family Camp. Don't miss this weekend of games, hiking, fishing, swimming, and s'mores. Our gatherings will be held in person on Saturday night with an all-church potluck dinner at Lake Kuchuma and an online-only Sunday, May 28th. Register at campcc.net slash camping. Friday, June 2nd, middle school all-nighter, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Yes, you heard that right, all night long. Games, prizes, tons and tons of fun. Register at campcc.net slash all-nighter. June 18th through 23rd, Friathon High School Summer Camp. Outgoing 8th graders to seniors, enjoy the best week of your life at the beautiful Lake Tullet. Registration is now open. Wakeboarding, 
tubing, giant inflatable water slide, and trampoline. Built lifelong memories. For more information, contact Jacob at campcc.net or register at campcc.net slash firethon. August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Save the date, more details to come. To stay in the loop what's going on at Camp CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to campcc.net. Good morning, my name is Megan Terryberry. I'm one of the worship leaders. Would you please stand up for the send off? Thank you so much, Pastor Dave, for that message in 1 Samuel. I felt it was like for me and how I can sometimes ignore the consequences and just be stubborn in my ways. But I'm so thankful for a gracious and loving God whose mercy and his timing is always perfect. And he knows that for me and he knows that for you. And so I'm so thankful. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, we have a lot of events going on. Something I did want to point out is that next week is the best week of the year because we have burritos. The burritos will be on sale for the Romania team. So bring some cash and get a burrito after service. And you can go to our website to look at all the other events that we have going on. We're entering a busy season and we are so glad that you're here. If you're a guest, remember to go to the welcome lobby on the left-hand side and we have some gifts and we want you to get plugged into our community. Thank you guys for coming this week. Just think about who you could be inviting next week. Grab a coffee, grab a donut, and say hi to someone new. Have a good week.